What a great job, team. I appreciate that. It's always good to worship with you and be in fellowship with you guys. Many of your faces I know. Some of your faces um, I've never seen or met before, and I just want to introduce myself to you. Uh, my name is uh, Daniel McCullough. I'm the principal of the school here, um, Redeemer Christian Academy. Um, this will be my third year. Um, it looks like we're dismissing the kids. You guys know the routine. They didn't tell me all those, those little functional details like that. So we'll let the little ones go as I'm doing the introductions here. They're so cute. So uh, I'm the principal. I'm going on our third year and um, been blessed by being here. Uh, many of you guys have been a help. Personally, some of you even send your children and then entrust them to us. I appreciate that, and hopefully you won't hold my preaching against me if you're thinking about sending your kids to the academy. Uh, so um, I have ministered in the pulpit before. Uh, my prior job, I was actually a, an associate pastor and an um, assistant principal, so I've done this a couple times, but I have not been on this bike for a while, so if I stumble and do things like that, y'all put up with me, please. All right. Um, as we get started, I do want to introduce my, my wife and my, looks like my two boys here, my wife Angela, and my oldest Dawson, and um, my second oldest Carter, they're with me as well, if you've never met them, they're blessing, and my daughter Caroline, I think, is in um, children's ministry today. And she goes to the academy with me, and uh, she's um, bemoaning, even now, the countdown for the day's that are ahead of her, so she's like, Daddy, the summer's halfway over, we're going to school, and so it really is about a month away, and uh, it's counting going down that quickly, so um, for all of you who are thinking, oh, summer is endless, and my kids will always be here, it's only one more month, and you can give them back to your campuses and to your principals so that they can handle them. How many of you have ever lost something big and important like a cell phone, a wallet, or keys? Has anybody ever done that? There's one, one, two, three, four, okay, okay, there, now, now I feel better. Okay, you've done that. Well, my wife will tell you whenever my life gets um, stressed that I'm going to lose something. And so she can tell if I'm stressed by the fact that things start going missing in my life. So right before the end of the school year this year, um, I mean, literally, I think the week before we had finals, um, I lose my wallet. And, you know, I'm, I'm not even clued in at the point where I lose it. And so I get to the next location where I need to get something. Thankfully, it wasn't too far away. So I get out of my vehicle, and like I normally do, I pat my, my legs to make sure I've got everything. Okay, so... I always keep my wallet in my front pocket, and I pat my, my legs, and it's not there. And I check my back pockets. It's not there. So then I begin looking into my truck, and I'm, you know, looking down, and uh, just everywhere I can, I'm like, where's my wallet? And I'm like, okay, I just used it 10 minutes ago, so let me go back and check that place. So I jump in my vehicle, drive back. It happened to be at Walmart. And so I get to Walmart. I can't really remember exactly where I parked, exact spot, but I know which row, and so I park, and I just start looking, and I'm, you know, on my hands and knees looking under cars, 
I can't find my wallet. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Do I leave it inside? Because, I mean, I'm that careless. I could do those kind of things. So I run back into Walmart, and I ask the cashier, did you see my wallet? Did you? No, we haven't said anybody turned in a wallet. Nothing like that at all. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So then they say, well, do you want us to get security to check the footage? I'm like, could you? Would that, could you do that? And they said, sure. Just, you know, have a seat, wait. And uh, so she tells me, well, it's going to be a little while, but they're going to scan the footage. I say, well, while y'all are looking at the footage, do you mind if I go back out and look? I'm just, you know, I can't sit here and do nothing. I need, I need to go find a wallet. So I go back out in the parking lot. I'm looking everywhere. You know, I've got people helping me. I've, I've retraced my steps. I've done all of the things that I know to do to try to find my wallet. Well, come back into Walmart. I'm sitting there waiting, and the um, security agent comes out, and she says, well, we found who took your wallet. And she said, you did um, drop it. It fell out of your pocket when you got in your vehicle, and uh, it was on the ground, and some man was walking in a parking lot. She said, many people passed it by, but this guy went straight to it picked it up, he got into a vehicle, she described it to me. I'm like, I just saw that vehicle. That vehicle was getting gas. So then I pull up my phone to see if my bank account is already, you know, showing purchases. And sure enough, that individual was buying gas at that gas station while I was searching for my phone. So the long story of that is I lost my wallet and had to redefine my life for the next two, three weeks, and I'm still finding things that I'm missing. I went to the eye doctor the other day, and they're like, do you have your insurance card? And I'm like, no, I don't have my insurance card. Um, and so it's just one of those things, whenever you lose something, it's so frustrating. It can just drive you bananas. And, I, you know, thankfully, I did not have it much cash, and thankfully, you know, my, my bank covered all of those fraudulent charges, so I wasn't out anything personally. Um, and so it just was a big headache and a big hassle for me. But there's times when you lose something really important and you have, let's say you have lots of money in your wallet or it's a, you know, a set of keys or something and you can't get in your vehicle and it just you know, sets you back even worse. And more than that, if you ever lose your phone, all of the things that you have in your phone, those phone numbers, all of the things that are important, is that something that, that anybody says, oh yeah, I could lose my phone tomorrow, I'll be just fine. Most of us have so many things now in our phones that uh, it would just upset our lives. I mean, I, I can lose my wallet and recreate that fashion. I can recreate all the pictures and all of the things that I have uh, on my phone. Well, I didn't come here to talk about losing a wallet. I came here to um, share with you what God has put on my heart. And I want to pick up where Pastor Preston left off last week. And he talked about 1 Samuel chapter 4 with you guys and... Um, shared some of his thoughts about um, our faith and, and talking about that struggle. And the last couple verses that he finished with last week, I want to pick up and read to you guys, and then I want to um, go on with that. So if you'll turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 4. First Samuel chapter 4 beginning in verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law Phineas's wife was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, 
She bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains come upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. 1 Samuel reminds me, or let me, let me say this, 1 Samuel 4 talks about how Israel lost the ark of God. And you guys talked a little bit about that last week if you were here. But Israel valued the ark as a symbol of God's presence. So we know it was a big gold box, had you know cherubim on top of it, and it was the, the symbol that represented God's presence. And whenever that ark was picked up, the Israelites would follow that ark, they would take it or take it to the next location. God would tell them to stop right there. And so to them, that represented God's presence. But in one day's battle, Israel lost the ark. So really, they lost God. In one day, they lost God. Now, they had tried to be, win a battle without God at, at the early stage, if you remember what Pastor Preston was saying. Um, they went out in battle, and they tried to defeat the Philistines, and 4,000 people died, and they said, oh, we just got defeated. So they said, oh, well, we know how to fix this. Let's go get the ark. Let's bring it with us, and then we'll be able to beat the Philistines. So they bring the ark, and not only do they lose, but they lose the ark, and they lose 20,000 people. And so it was a huge defeat. And so what do you do when God can't be found? And I don't know if, if I see many uh, faces in here that I probably assume, maybe I'm, I'm falsely assuming, but I assume you've been serving the Lord for many years, and there's probably people in here who have just been serving the Lord just for a few. If you've been serving the Lord for a long time, you probably know the situation where sometimes when things just sort of get quiet with God, and it seems like God is absent. You know he's there, but in your heart and in your life, just isn't there. For the children of Israel, God hadn't really departed. The symbol of his presence has been taken, but he hasn't left them. But the symbol represents the state of what Israel's heart was like. And Israel had lost God, so to speak. And Phineas's wife was lamenting that the glory had departed. She was bemoaning the fact that the presence of God had left Israel. And she didn't know what she was going to do. She was very, very distraught. Well, that story reminds me of another time when Israel lost God in Daniel chapter 9. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because I don't want to steal Pastor Preston's flow for next week in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6 as he starts to continue his... Um, chapter by chapter study of First Samuel, but I do want to continue the thought right here, and I want us to look in Daniel chapter nine. So if you'll turn with that, uh, turn to me with that. I may overwhelm you with scripture today. I uh, was talking to Chris in the back, and he's like, "Man, you like a lot of scripture." I said, "Well, I found that I'd rather let the scripture talk than myself talk. Um, a lot of times, I can get up here and give you an opinion." 
but it's so much better when the Word of God speaks for itself. And uh, I'm not so wise to come in here and say I know everything. Um, and so I'm going to let the Scripture speak to us and let the Holy Spirit use the Scripture. And uh, when Preston gets back and he can use his great wisdom and his insight in Scripture and all of the things that he's learned and share with you those things that he knows. But I'm just going to let the Word talk to us. And so 1 Samuel chapter 4 reminds me of Daniel chapter 9 because in Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to pick up the story for you guys. Daniel chapter 9 is after the children of Israel have lost the ark again, but this time it's been missing for 70 years. Okay, so Jeremiah prophesied to the people of Israel that because of your departure from God, because of your backsliding, because of your disobedience to the word, I'm going to destroy your city. I'm going to totally annihilate Jerusalem. It's going to become desolate. It's going to become completely uninhabited. And you guys are going to be taken into captivity. And I am no longer going to be in the city any longer. And you guys are going to be captives. And so, 70 years prior to Daniel chapter 9, the Babylonians come in, they capture Jerusalem, they uh, raise the city, they take things, and they take captives, and they return them back to Babylon. And so, Jerusalem has been desolate, empty, completely barren, you can hear the crickets, and the people of Israel have been captive, and Daniel was one of those that were taken captive. And as we know the story, if you've, if you've read it before at all, you know, Daniel was one of the young Hebrew children that the king took notice of, and he began to train, and Daniel becomes a very influential force in the um, government of Babylon. But in that time, Daniel begins to um, read the Word and study the Word, and he realizes, hey, it's been 70 years, and it, God said that this desolation is only going to happen for 70 years. So we're about to have a change. And I'm ready for the change because I'm tired of being without the presence of God. I'm tired of living in this situation without God's presence. And so that, that story reminds me of how sometimes we get like that too. Sometimes we sort of get into a place in our lives where God just sort of disappears on us or we disappear more likely from God. Um, we may be doing the the rituals of church. We come and serve in Sunday school. We may even, you know, be on a committee or some board. But the truth of it is our heart is not really close to God at all. And we're just going through the motions. And the people of Israel have been going through the motions for 70-something years. Not all of them, but many of them. And Daniel was miserable. And he knew that the people of Israel needed a change. And Daniel's saying, God, we've got to do something about this. And so I want to pick up Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, and read with you guys. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from Your precepts and Your judgments. 
Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed the law and has departed as to not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Verse 12, and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against the judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such as never has been done what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. In the city which is called by your name, we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And so Daniel begins to study the word of God and he begins to see that in the word God had promised that they would only be captive for 70 years. And so Daniel realizes that he has, or the the children of Israel have reached that mark and so he begins to to pray a prayer of repentance. And he begins to pray pray a prayer asking for God to once again shine his face on the people of Israel and on his city. In this story or in this um, set of scriptures right here, Daniel, if you even, if you just study the man Daniel, Daniel is one of the few people in the Bible who there is nothing ever negatively said about Daniel. Daniel always has something good said about him. You talk about David, we find something that he did wrong, we, Bathsheba. We, we think about all of the great people, Abraham, Moses, Isaac. You can just think about the disciples. I mean, all these great men in the scriptures, they all have something negative to be said about them. 
You study the man Daniel, you're not going to find something negative about him. But this man Daniel was just like you and I. There was negative things. There was things that he was doing. He's repenting at this point, and he begins to say, we have sinned. He begins to take ownership of the sin of Israel, even though he specifically is probably not the one who's turned his back on God. Daniel is not the one who has forsaken God. Daniel is not the cause of the destruction of Jerusalem. But he's owning it like, hey, we have sinned. We have done this. And that is something that a lot of us, when we come to church and we sit in our, our um, seats and we you know, worship with our friends, a lot of us live in a way that we're just thinking about ourselves. And we sit here and we say, okay, I'm good. And we go through our little checklist. If I was to give you a little checklist, you'd be like, okay, I don't drink, I don't do this, I don't go here, I don't watch that. And I've got a good checklist, so I'm doing good. And you pat yourself on the back. And that is uh, an attitude of, of self-righteousness, an attitude that says, hey, i got things going. Daniel could have said that too. Of all the people of Israel in that day and time, Daniel could have pat himself on the back the best. But Daniel doesn't have the attitude that, hey, I've got it together. What Daniel realizes is, I'm in the boat with all the rest of the people. And I'm thinking about our nation right now, and I'm thinking about the situation, and I'm not talking about politics, and I'm not talking about things like that. If you excuse me, I'm getting a little warm here. I hope Pastor Preston will not be mad that I take my jacket off. Um, But the people of Israel have been doing wickedly for a long time. Daniel pretty much got it together. I mean, he's been fasting, he's been praying, he's been doing all the religious things he needs to be doing. But he owns the fact that the nation that he is a part of is going down the tubes and he begins to repent and he begins to pray. He's he's realizing we're in this predicament and I've got to do something about it. And I think sometimes in our nation we look at all the crazy stuff that's going on, all the, the things, I mean... The world, I, I tell people just in the teaching world, when I started teaching 20-something years ago, the students in my classroom are not like the students that are, are being taught like this. I got some amens there. It woke y'all up. Um, you know, it's just changing. And classroom, what about TV? What about movies? You know, my kids say, well, you know, when you were uh, young, you used to watch PG-13s or whatever, and we're like, yeah, that is not anything like PG-13s I was watching. They've changed the standard. And the world is just, you know, just getting bad. The things that they talk about on TV, the commercials, just the, you know, I don't have to go through the list. But a lot of times, we sit in our chairs on Sunday morning or in our homes during the week, and we're like, I'm not like them. That's not my problem. And we go about our business, but the truth of the matter is the nation, the people, are going down the tubes. And that is where the problem is, and that is where we as the church need to take ownership. We have to look at it just like Daniel looked at it and say, this nation founded upon God is losing him quickly. We're no longer the nation that stands up and says one nation under God proudly. 
They're trying to erase that phrase out of every part of America. And I didn't come here again to be political. I came here to say the state of this, this nation is not what we anticipated. And we're probably not the cause of it. But if we don't wake up like Daniel woke up and say there's got to be something done about it, then we're going to find ourselves in a nation that is desolate, just like the people of Israel found themselves without a city, without an ark, without any presence, without any symbol. God was absent. God could not be found. And sure, we may have our own little quiet times in our homes, We may have to start sneaking around to go to a Bible study or things like that, and we'll probably survive. But you know what? I'd rather take this opportunity to say, church, let's wake up and let's stop the decline before it gets to the point where my children have to sneak around to worship God. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? Well, I mean, I never dreamed in my wildest days that I would have to be thinking about a nation that has turned so quickly and so far from God. But it's going quickly. And I'm, only, I'm glad that I'm as old as I am because I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If I stay on this, this earth another 30 years, I'm probably not going to see the things that are going to be here in 50 years. But it's gone so fast in the last 10 to 15 that it may be as bad as I thought it might be 50 years from now in just 15 I'm not here to, uh, to you know, talk about a bleak message. I'm here to say we can change it. I'm here to say, just like Daniel, we can say, you know what? Tired of the way things are. I'm tired of the way the nation is going. And I am going to stand up just like Daniel, and I'm going to begin to pray just like Daniel. We can lament, and we can wring our hands, and we can just get all worked up over the things that are happening, or we can do something about it. And what is the greatest thing we can do about it? We can pray. And Daniel prayed a prayer. Daniel began to say things. He began to realize, hey, I can change something because God has shown me what to do. So let's look at it a little piece by piece here. And I want to to just break it down um, for us. So in Daniel chapter 9, the first thing that Daniel did was Daniel went to the book. Okay, he, he, He went back to the Bible. So often the problems that you see in our world are because this book is absent. You know, they, we've taken this book and it, we don't even talk about it any longer. And if we do, we just sort of, you know, mention it half-heartedly. And, and our nation, they just do not want to hear the, the Scripture read and they want to change the Scripture. They want to eliminate the Scripture. But the Word of God is true. And the Word of God will stand. And the Word of God will be here all the way to the end. So this is one thing we can count on. And Daniel knew it. And Daniel got his face in the book. And you know what? Whenever we find ourselves, go back to talking about losing something, when we find ourselves where we maybe have gone off the path and maybe we have strayed from God, what's the best thing we can do? Go back to the book. Just like I 
went back to where I last saw my wallet? Where's the last place you saw God talk? Probably right here. Go back to that spot. Open your scriptures. Crack them open. Dust it off. For some of us, dust it off. Open the Word and begin to read what the Word has to say. But for our nation, we need to read the Word of God. You know, the, the, the morality stick that everybody uses these days is bending, okay? If I can use this as a little analogy. Use the deacon mic here. It's bending. It used to be a straight rod. Now they're saying that this kind of marriage is okay and this kind of this is okay. And they're making all of these adjustments to what used to be a very straight stick that we could use to measure something with. Now it's got a bunch of bends and turns in it. Well, you know what? The world is putting a bunch of bends and twists in it and we've got to come back to the one straight stick that is an absolute, that will not change, that is immutable, unchangeable. The Word of God. And then we can take the Word of God and we can put it up against marriage. We can put it up against relationships. We can put it up against anything that's going on. And we say, let me see how it measures up to the Word of God. See, Daniel knew the Word of God was key. You read through Daniel's prayer, and in his prayer of repentance, the major focus that he has is, we left your Word. We quit obeying what you said we're supposed to do. And so we've got to wake back up and say, I've got to get back in the Word. It's real easy to go to church. It's real easy to sing some songs. It's a little bit harder to wake up on Monday through Saturday and read your Word. It's a little bit harder to get this inside of you where you meditate it and where you digest it, where you live with it. See, it's all good to sing the, the Christian songs, and those are good, and a lot of times they're based on Scripture. But when you get yourself in a pinch, you need the Word of God. You need the truth. When you find yourself wobbling on your morals, you need the Word of God as the truth to measure against. Daniel knew that. Daniel brought him back to that. The next thing Daniel says here in verse 3, he says, I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. A lot of times, our faces are not set towards the Lord. We glance towards Him on Sundays. Maybe we glance towards Him on a Wednesday or a Thursday night for Bible study. But our faces are not set towards the Lord because we've got so many things pulling at us. Let me tell you, the, the life of, of my family, I've got sports, I've got family issues, I've got just to make meals, we've just got to get you know, to the eye doctor and to this. I can list a thousand things that have got my attention, much less my job, much less my marriage, all of those things. There's a thousand things that pull my face away just to things that are just have to be done. I'm not saying they're bad. They just have to be done. But when we get so busy doing those things, then we lose our time with God. You know, we've got, it, it's interesting that he says, I turn my face towards God. 
You think about FaceTime with our phones, and we got Facebook. We've got all of this face stuff, but we don't have FaceTime with Him, and we don't have our face in His book. We've got Facebook, and we've got all the, the latest on that. But we don't have our time with Him, and it gets stolen, and it gets taken away. And so this nation needs to be brought back to the point where they turn their face back to God. And so we need to pray, God, turn this nation's face back towards God. And I pray that it isn't done by calamity. I pray that it's not something like 9-11 when we had all of the, the people in Congress standing on the steps singing God bless America because our nation had been attacked so terribly. That's when they began to be so united in things of God. We don't need that. We need the return to God before the calamity happens. God, have mercy on this nation and turn us back to you that, our, our, uh, that we would be turned towards your face before the calamity happens, before the, the bad stuff happens. God, have mercy on our nation. Daniel began to pray. He began to seek God. It says that he also then began to make confession. A lot of times, guys, and you know, I, I think I'm speaking to... Um, people who understand this, we confess our sins, and it's real easy if we just say, I confess my sins. It's even harder, though, and a lot more difficult for us to do when we get specific about our sin. See, we say sin. Sin's, sin's a just a big global word. Yeah, you know, we all have sinned. We've got the scripture. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, we've all sinned. But if we get specific about the sin... Oh, we're not so quick about that. Nobody's going to raise their hand in here if I say, when's the last time that you visited a prostitute? Okay? Yeah, I hope not. But you know what? That's a sin, and people do that. It's, it's a problem in America, or we wouldn't have the, the sex trafficking trade that we do. But you know what? We'll just say, yeah, uh, forgive me. You know, Pastor, pray for me. Pray that God would forgive me my sins. We don't mention that it's prostitution, and we're visiting a prostitute every week. We just, forgive me my sin, Pastor, you know, pray for me. We don't want to get specific. We don't want to get down in the dirty, into the, the details of it. And here's what Daniel does. Look at, look at what the, the words he used. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts. We have not heeded your servant, the prophets, um, because of the unfaithfulness which we've committed against you. We have rebelled against you. We have sinned against you. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord to walk in your laws. We have transgressed your laws and departed so as not to obey. He goes through those things, and sure, those aren't the real ugly sins, but he's real specific about the things that Israel has been doing because we've got to get specific. We don't get convicted when we just say a bland word about sin. We get convicted when we talk about these sins. When I give you the list, if I was to start to read the list, you'd be like, oh, 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 those are the ones that hurt. You know, we, we just like to, to make a, a, a generic statement. But we have to wake up to that, and we need to begin to, to call our nation and ourselves to repentance for the sins that we have committed. God, forgive our nation. 
for the wickedness that it has chosen to celebrate. Forgive our nation for the sin of uh, marriage, homosexual marriage. Forgive us of that sin. Forgive us of the sin of lying and just calling it bending the truth. Forgive us for the sins of pornography and adultery. Forgive us for the sins. I mean, you can just go down the list rather than just make a nice blanket easy statement. See, Daniel knew that he needed to make confession for his, his nation because his nation had turned wicked. But he wasn't saying, forgive them. He said, forgive us. God, we have let this get to this point. We are part of this. We own this. The last thing that Daniel does is he begins to appeal to God. He begins to appeal and say, according, not according to all of our righteousness, I pray, because we're embarrassed by what's going on. But instead, he says in verse um, 17, Hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, O God, Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. The end of verse 18. Because of your great mercies. Verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. He becomes earnest in his prayers, saying, God, listen, hear, act, move, do for our nation. Because we're in a fix. We have lost your presence. God is nowhere to be found any longer. We've got him bottled up in churches on Sunday, but he's pretty much absent Monday through Saturday. Oh God, hear our prayer. Heal our nation. Daniel realized that the one way for the people of Israel to find what they were missing was to go back to where they lost him. Just like we would if we were looking for our phones. They realized that they needed to focus just like we would looking for our phones. We begin to get on our hands and knees and look. We need to focus on God's face. They realized they need to retrace their steps confessing their sins, going through their, their things that they've done wrong. And he realized that they needed to pray and appeal to God and to ask for God's mercy, to cry out for Him and say, God, move once again on our nation. You've forgotten us for 70 years. You haven't been found for 70 years. Please, God, move again. One more time. Just like you remember Samson Samson had his eyes poked out because of him, him uh, sharing his secret with Delilah. And Samson is brought blind into the Philistine um, cathedral or wherever, the, the temple that they were eating the dinner in, and they were making mockery of Samson. And um, Samson was um, brought, and a little boy brought him, and he says, bring me up by these two pillars. And Samson is brought one last time into that uh, space, and he 
leans against both of the pillars and he just begins to cry out, God, just one more time will you move on my life. And then God gives him the strength one more time and Samson knocks an entire temple down by leaning on those two pillars and destroys the Philistine uh, elite in one fell swoop. Killed more that day than all of the time that Samson had been alive before. One last time God moved. We need to pray the same. God, one more time, move in our nation. Have mercy on us. We own the pickle we're in. We have lost you. You're nowhere to be found. And we might sit in our seats today and say, it's not me. It may not be. But you know what? We're all in the pickle together. And it's us as a church, and the churches in this city, and the churches in this nation, who need to begin to wake up and say, we own this fact, but we're not going to sit by and let it happen any longer. God, move once again. One more time. Bow your heads, please.